Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times with your WWE SummerSlam 2022 instant analysis. That's right, getting over is back just minutes after SummerSlam went off the air to break down every single thing that happened on WWE's latest premium live event its first of three consecutive stadium shows leading us from the summer into the fall and we have an absolute ton to break down one of the most i think you could say eventful premium live events pay-per-views that wwe has put on in quite some time with no shortage of topics to cover so with that said let me remind you right off the top here that the getting over wrestling podcast so please especially on this night stop making me ask stop being marks for yourselves and Go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for getting over the Silver King, Vintage Chris Vanini, our co-host. Head over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating on Apple. Also leave a review. Let everyone know how much you love the show, why you listen, and why they should subscribe. The reviews are super important, and we read all five-star reviews right here on the podcast. And please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. We had an awesome night interacting with all of you during SummerSlam. Uh, our live Twitter spaces was one of the best, I think, that we've ever done before. Pre and post show polls, new releases of episodes, wrestling news, every reason in the world to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Now, this is an instant analysis edition of Getting Over, which means this episode operates a little bit different than the other ones because on these episodes, the instant analyses, we crack open a cold one to celebrate a evening well done. And the Silver King is rocking Anilla Wit from Seventh Sun Brewing in Tampa, Florida tonight. Just recently came back from my trip. A fantastic beer. Allow me to welcome the vintage one, Chris Vanini, into the show. Chris, what do you have with you? I have got another spotted cow from New Glarus Brewing Company in Wisconsin. I had this last time. It was delicious. It was still in my fridge. So I got another one. This one was uh, slightly frozen, which is not necessarily the best case scenario, but it doesn't mean I'm going to have a cold beer the entire show. So that is a positive. Now, we only crack the cold ones open for the instant analysis. It loosens us up. It's late at night. Normally, we tape during the day. It just makes the show feel a little different, but our goal here is not to discuss beer. It is to talk about WWE SummerSlam, a show that going into it, Chris, I think you and I both felt the same way. We thought it could deliver, given the wrestlers, the superstars on the show, the potential for high quality matches, but we weren't really excited going into SummerSlam because the storyline build had not been that good. There ended up being eight matches on the show, Five of them were rematches, two of them were celebrity matches, and one of them was a fresh match. And I think the match we were most looking forward to, Seth Rollins and Riddle, was bounced off the show on Wednesday. And we came into our uh, Twitter Spaces pre-show, which we do live. Obviously, we do the ultimate preview on Tuesdays. We came into that Twitter Spaces pre-show even further down than we were. Our original pre-show expectation grades were B+. We changed them to Bs on that show because, or at least I did, because they took away what had the chance to be the match of the night from a work rate perspective. 
So going into SummerSlam, just to reiterate, so everyone knows where our heads were before we get into the instant analysis, it was optimistic, but not excited. Yeah, I stayed at a B plus after losing that match. But yeah, that was one of the freshest, most interesting matches on the card. And so you take away that and it it, it hurts it. But it's SummerSlam. You knew they were going to try to put on a show as they do for WrestleMania. They were going to pull out some other things. They were going to do some wacky stuff. And spoiler alert, they did. I, I was a little bit pessimistic because even though they did indeed pull out all the stops for WrestleMania this year, like it or not, what we actually got on the show, there was a significant amount of effort to create moments put into WrestleMania. But you know, Money in the Bank was originally advertised for a stadium and they pulled it out of one into an arena because of ticket sales. And they I'm not saying that the show is half assed because it wasn't. There was a lot of effort and work put in and it was a very good show, but it didn't feel important. And coming into this SummerSlam, it felt to me like WWE was not making it feel important. That changed very soon after SummerSlam began. Saturday night from Nashville, Tennessee in Nissan Stadium. But going into the show, I wasn't thinking, oh, they're going to give us a single night of WrestleMania in one night of SummerSlam, which, spoiler alert, we'll get to our post-show grades later. That's what they did. This felt like one night of WrestleMania. Yeah, it ended up being about a four and a half hour show. WrestleMania this year, they did about four hours each night. Three and a half hours. Three and a half hours. Three. Oh, you're 8 right. to 11, almost 11.45, something like that. Yeah, I'm thinking, I'm thinking Central yeah. Time, Eastern Time, mixing it up. But but it was, a, it was not a super long show, and if you want to know why Riddle Rollins was cut, I suspect that was one reason mm-hmm. um, that, they, that they had a lot that they wanted to pack in, didn't want to rush stuff. And so, yeah, it, it basically they tried to fit in one WrestleMania into the show. I do think that is fair to say. Look, let's not waste any more time. Let's go into the WWE SummerSlam instant analysis for anyone who is a first-time listener of this podcast or of these episodes. Let me just explain for you how this is going to go. We don't do this by match card. We don't work our way from the first match all the way to the last. We start with the main event of the evening, and we cover the biggest matches and biggest moments of the show in an order that I set forth in order for us to spend as much time on possible as possible on the biggest moments at the very end of our instant analysis, which does include grades for every match. We will then give you our post show grades. Chris will give his, I'll give mine. We have our listener poll up on Twitter. We do it for every pay-per-view or premium live event. So we will be able to wrap this up in a nice bow at the end of the night. Chris, before we get into the match by match breakdown, I wanted to briefly discuss the set. I was not a huge fan um, of the set or really the lack of a set. It's one thing for Royal Rumble in a baseball stadium where the entrances are such a big part of the show that you want to see the person come down that long aisle. And and it's, it's different. Baseball stadiums are also set up differently. So you can do the entrances out of the dugout or things like that. In a football stadium, to not have a stage. I'm not saying you have to have a WrestleMania stage. But to not have a stage, to me, I didn't love it. And because uh, of the time of year it is, and the 8 o'clock show starting was still somewhat during daylight, the initial opening of SummerSlam without any pyro, just getting right into a match, 
It just kind of felt lackluster. It did improve as the show went on and they focused more on Pyro and it got dark out and all that. But the start of the show for me, it didn't hit right. It just felt, it felt lacking. Um, I, I disagree just because anytime they're in a stadium, it feels like a big deal. I, you know, the hard cam side was largely uh, cut off. Not They didn't really show it on the camera. There was a tarp and stuff like that. So that's why they had about 40,000 fans in a stadium that fits a lot more. Um, it, it, that didn't bother me much. The only thing I was surprised with was kind of the stage where they walked in because you, you got the, 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 the Titantron graphics in the back. But other than that, you just had black curtains around yeah, where the stands the black are. Curtains. I thought they would have lights, graphics, just something instead of just black. And it was black on what they were walking to. So it looked a little low budget, frankly. And that, that part kind of surprised me. because that, You know what? That's even more of what it was than the fact that there wasn't a big set. It was yeah. that all those black um, blankets or, or curtains yeah, or whatever you want curtains, to call it yeah, over the barriers. Yeah. It, it felt low budget to me. Yeah, that, that, just, it, that, that was surprising. I, I'm surprised they didn't just throw some extra lights down the little hallway there or something like that. But that, that was about it. O- overall, I, overall, I still liked it uh, the way the whole thing looked on TV. Just those entrances were a little bit lackluster because of that. Exactly. Okay, so let's get into the match-by-match breakdown. The one thing I did forget to note is obviously there was a smackdown between our Ultimate Preview and this Instant Analysis episode and obviously SummerSlam itself. So there are some things from SmackDown that we're going to mention ahead of each match just to give additional context before you break it down. So we are going to start with the main event of the evening, the undisputed WWE Universal Championship, Roman Reigns defending against Brock Lesnar. One last time, one last match, last man standing, at least we hope. On SmackDown, Theory talks shit about his SummerSlam plans. Paul Heyman put his arm around him to talk to him in private. The go-home segment was Heyman cutting a promo in the ring. He said Reigns is going to be done with Lesnar for good. Suddenly, Brock's music hit. He was unadvertised for the show. Lesnar stalked Heyman. Theory attacked him from behind, paying off the earlier moment. Lesnar no-sold it. He suplexed Theory to hell. Then Drew McIntyre flew in with a blindside Claymore on Theory before staring at Lesnar from the ramp. I thought it was kind of bland, but it did at least give us a go-home moment. It also gave us a Brock Lesnar-Drew McIntyre stare-down that was a perhaps red herring, right? Or a precursor to what we might actually have as the result of SummerSlam. So I kind of appreciated it in that way. I was disappointed the Undisputed Champion couldn't be bothered to show up on the go-home SmackDown. But other than that, it all kind of worked to set up this match. Yeah, you know, Heyman sold it well, you know, it... It's disappointing when you don't have the champion on the final go-home show, but we're used to that with Roman Reigns. Heyman did his job, and yeah, we just you know it was fine. All right, so let's get to SummerSlam. Reigns entered first. Uh, the Usos did not join him all the way at the ring. He got double fireworks. He said, acknowledge me before the match. The fans started cheering. It kind of turned to booze. I think there were some tribal chief chants even in yes. the crowd. Uh, Lesnar then came out in a sumo ponytail. And I was kind of disappointed. I'm like, he's in Nashville. He wears the cowboy hat. This is so lackluster, right? He starts walking down. They swerved me. Uh, He stops walking, puts on a flannel and a cowboy hat and climbs onto a loader tractor and then rides it all the way to the ring. It was kind of a little bit of a callback 
It's a Lesnar Big Show. They had a forklift spot. Reigns and Daniel Bryan also had one. So I thought it was kind of cool that they brought back the heavy machinery for Reigns and Lesnar. Uh, Lesnar then got out of the vehicle. He stood on the bucket of the loader over the top rope and Reigns was intimidated. They showed his face. He sold it really well. Lesnar cut off the ring announcer. He did his own introduction, which he absolutely crushed. And then as Reigns intro finished, Lesnar jumped off the bucket with a Fez press onto Reigns as the bell rang. Chris, I could not think of a hotter start for this match. It really amped up the match with an intensity that I did not have in me going into it. I mean, when's the last time Brock even jumped off the top rope? I, don't, I mean, <laughs> that that he didn't cuss himself yeah. on his shooting star press at WrestleMania 19. I mean, the, the, the camera angle, I don't think, gave justice to just how high he jumped down from. Yeah, Initially, it, it definitely yeah. it definitely gave a, a big uh, hot start to the, to the fight. So Lesnar hits two huge toss suplexes outside. He dominates Reigns until Roman fell out of an F5 and ran him into a truss. Lesnar did the same. Then he threw Reigns into a cameraman. Lesnar slipped, trying to jump on the barricade, but he hit Reigns with a German outside. Heyman distracted Lesnar. That gave Reigns an opening for a Samoan drop into a table that Lesnar had set up. Steel steps and a Uranagi led to a seven count. Lesnar's back actually got bloodied because of the table, the pieces of the table, the scraps. Reigns hit two Superman punches. Brock basically no-sold them. Then Reigns hit a spear for an eight count. Lesnar put Reigns into half of a table outside. Like, the table was already broken. And Lesnar still put him into it. I've never seen anyone do that before. I'm not saying it hasn't happened. I'm just saying I haven't seen it. Reigns beat the count. Lesnar then jumped into the loader briefly. He hit Reigns with steps and used half a table as a weapon, like picked it up and just hit him upside the head with it for a nine count. Then he threw Reigns into the bucket of the loader and dumped him into the ring for a six count. This ended up looking far less impressive than expected because by the time he like lifted him up and turned the loader over, his body was under the top rope. So he just kind of gently fell into the ring, but he also got up at six. So I didn't think it was that big of a deal, Chris. Now, in this moment, I also thought we were done with right. the loader. I'm like, okay, they did a spot with it. Pretty cute. It was, and that's it. It was it was Chekhov's tractor. You know, the tractors are they're going to do a tractor spot. There's your tractor spot. But did you also agree that, OK, it's over like. They did yeah, it. They I, used I it. thought that was it. I, I thought someone might jump off it again or something. But but other than that, yeah, that was I, I figured that's the big, unique use the tractor spot. Right. The only thing I thought the loader, the, the bucket was hanging down into the ring. I thought maybe Reigns could like ram Lesnar's head into it and then spear him. I was mm-hmm. like, that, that would have been really cool to like to use the side of it as a weapon. But beyond that, I'm like, that's all they're going to do. And I'm like, okay, cool that they introduced it, but it didn't really work. That, I'm just letting you know what my mindset was in that moment. So there was a short, this is awesome chant after Reigns got dumped into the ring. Reigns ate three Germans for a nine count and then an F5 for a 9.9. That really should have been 10 because Reigns was like on his, he was like barely off the canvas on his knees using the ropes. Um, Reigns countered another F5 into a guillotine. Lesnar reversed it into a guillotine and knocked Reigns out cold. The referee told Lesnar to release so he could count. Reigns was motionless until seven. He again hit the ropes at 9.5, which really should have been 10. Lesnar then jumps back into the loader and drives it forward. And he literally 
pushes and lifts the ring into the air. Like he gets underneath the left corner of the ring and lifts it. One corner was in the air. Reigns completely rolls out the other side of the ring, just like in all of those times where you see like the ring collapse and like uh, a Mark Henry big show spot and the referee like bounces his body and rolls out of the ring and it's comedic. Reigns just disappears off the side of the ring into the ringside area. And I was shocked, mouth agape legitimately. But he rolls out. I'm like, that's going to be the finish. I thought they were going to possibly dump the ring on top of him or like <laughs> or trap him in it somehow. Or I don't know what was going to happen. He ends up getting up on the barricade at six, which again, Chris, I was pleased because all he did was roll out of the ring. So all the spots that looked big but really weren't, they didn't oversell them dramatically, which I kind of appreciated. Yes, and credit to you for calling it. I'll do the bear. Not, not calling it exactly, but on our Twitter space, pretty close. Free show. You pointed out, hey, they don't have any LED uh, stuff, ring posts, the or of boards, the ring. or any of that. Yeah, and you said when they do that, they usually do something like an exploding ring, and not quite an exploding ring, but you got that right. Yeah, I've look. I've never seen that one before. I, I've. I've <laughs> I thought we'll he was just gonna ram again. The, I thought he just I thought he was just gonna ram the ring a few times. I was like, I was like, oh right, well, it's kind of cool, but it's kind of weird. Then he picks the freaking ring up. I don't know if there were hydraulics underneath that side or what, because to to angle that, to pick it up right, I, to do that, that's gotta be tough. And he got on the first try. Maybe it was <laughs> aided. I don't know. Obviously, the ring bent in a certain way. I'm obviously, you know, it was a a a, a worked ring for a bit. And I was just like, what the fuck is going on? It, it, the, the, the visual of Roman stumbling and rolling out of the ring, incredible stuff. And Lesnar manic controlling it. I mean, that wasn't gimmicked. It wasn't hydraulics. They He got that loader under the ring and lifted it into the... I mean, the guy knows what he's doing with tractor equipment. You can't really discredit that, right? I just want to know, did they get a chance to practice this? Did they set up a fake ring and like That's what give I'm him saying. a chance to try... Because that could have been a massive failure in the moment. Like, a million things could have happened. I guess, worst case, he fails to lift it, and the match finish would have gone exactly the same. But, like, it was a spectacle. It it was one of the most unexpected things that I've ever seen during a professional wrestling match. That's that's something you'll never forget. You'll never forget. You've seen an exploding ring a couple times. You're never going to see a tractor pull pull up a ring. And, And the other part of it, again... Like he, it could have like lifted it and it could have slid off. Like if, yeah. I, I, if the other sides were maybe bolted into the ground or something, I don't know. But like how they pulled that off was wild. And they, I mean, I don't know, obviously the status of the ring. They may have ruined one of their rings, which is a huge expense, yeah. by the way. But we'll get to that another time. Anyway, let's get back to the match. So Lesnar gets off the loader and he finally gets by Reigns again. The Usos run in and attack him. He dumps Jay on his head. He was okay, but it didn't look like it at first. Heyman then gave Lesnar the titles. He begged him, just take the titles. You win. Leave Reigns alone. So Lesnar takes the titles. He drops them on the ground. And then he drops Paul Heyman through the announce table with an F5. And Heyman is motionless, dead. I don't think he opened his eyes for the remainder of the match. And there was plenty of match still left after this. That gave, though, when Lesnar did that, it made him prone. Reigns hit him with a spear. They both stood at nine. Theory runs down with the briefcase. 
Theory hit Reigns with the briefcase. He was ready to cash it in. Lesnar F5'd him. The Usos then hit Lesnar with stereo super kicks. Lesnar stood at 9.5 with the help of the barricade. Reigns speared him for another 9.5. Then Reigns stole the briefcase from Theory. Hit Theory with it, kind of just for good measure, which popped <laughs> me. I thought it was really funny. And mm-hmm. then he wore out Brock Lesnar's ass with that briefcase. Lesnar got up at 9.5 again. Reigns used the WWE title on his head for a 9.5. Then he used the Universal title for another belt shot. And he screamed, don't you ever come back. You ain't welcome here. He and the Usos then buried Lesnar under the announce table, desk chairs, stairs, anything they could find as the referee counted to 10 and Reigns retained the title. I don't have the match time. 28 minutes. I lost track. It was nearly a half hour. Very long match. Chris, like I break all that down for you. And I'm kind of speechless. This was, <laughs> it was so much better than I expected, but it was completely a spectacle and not really a wrestling match. It was also completely overbooked to perhaps the greatest possible degree. And that term overbooked is usually a negative when people say it. I don't really mean it as a negative because it was Brock Lesnar, Roman Reigns for the 172nd time. And it's a last man standing match. And you and I always talk about it. I hate last man standing matches because there's no crescendo. There's no big moment at the end. And they managed to get all of that done. They incorporated nearly every element of their storylines, the finisher spam, the Usos interference, the Paul Heyman uh, moving from Lesnar to Reigns. All of it was part of it. Theory obviously coming down, maybe with the one exception being there was no Drew McIntyre involvement in the match. But like I said, these guys have fought like seven, eight times now. It was a last man standing match. They had to go as above and beyond as they possibly could. And when you think about what we got here, that's what they did. Lesnar was bloodied. Reigns was dropped out of a loader into the ring. Lesnar used a loader to literally push and raise the ring. There was a failed money in the bank cash in. Lesnar was booked as strong as someone possibly could needing to overcome four wrestlers, multiple belt shots, and Paul Heyman to to ultimately lose. We got a ton of false finishes. Reigns' final line kind of ended the feud for good, or at least ended his part of the story with Lesnar. And then at the final moment of the show, the last picture, Roman Reigns on top, both titles around his shoulders, huge pyro to end the show with a great go-home picture. Now, here were my problems. First, Reigns had to be better with his 9.5s. Two of them should have ended the match where he yeah. reached the ropes. He wasn't fully on his feet. Yeah, I didn't love he was that. On his, he was on the side of his foot. He was on the side of his feet. Second, the referee started counting the actual finish before the bloodline was finished piling stuff onto Brock. You're supposed to wait until they're no longer hitting, touching, or screwing with the person to begin your count. So they should have let them pile it up, Reigns stand on top, count to 10, get the win. I think it would have been more impactful if they did it that way. But what this did do was accomplish the end of the feud. It really did. Reigns retained, Theory threatened, Lesnar was super strong in the finish. Plus, again, Chris, let me stress to you, they moved an entire fucking ring during the match. That will never be topped unless one explodes or levitates. And I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. So as far as a grade, I don't have any clue. One thing is for sure. This was five slabs of beef. He don't want no water. He don't want no bread. All he wants is meat. 
And, and we got two big meaty men bumping the shit out of each other. So five slabs of beef, and that's really what you want out of this. As far as a rating, four point five stars. A like it, it was extremely good. There were enough unique moments that shocked me. We also did get finisher spam. It was not a four point five wrestling match. I would call this a four point five star sports entertainment spectacle. An all timer. By the way, it was twenty three minutes on the dot, according to Wikipedia. Uh, yeah, th- this was exactly what it needed to be. It it needed to be a spectacle. It needed to be a mess. We've seen them wrestle a match so many times. You couldn't just give it to us again. WrestleMania felt like they had run out of ideas and they just spin- finisher spanned each other until it was done in like 14 minutes, a very short match. So this had to be crazy. It was indeed crazy. I when when Theory's music hit in the middle of the match, I'd completely forgotten about him. That that's a credit <laughs> to how invested I was in what they were doing in this match. Of like, oh crap, I forgot Theory was gonna come out. But I gotta say, it, it didn't come into play. But uh, credit to Adam Jacoby on Twitter for for bringing this up. But how exactly would a triple threat last man standing match work? <laughs> uh, I think one. Of, I think it would work. I think down? it would work one of two ways. Um, either each person has to get counted to 10. So yeah. if Theory got counted to 10, he's eliminated and that leaves two. Or yeah. the person who initiates the attack that l- leads to the person being counted out to 10 wins. That would be my yeah, guess. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I didn't think of that. It would have been a mess. It would have not really made sense, but that was a good way to do it and then to get rid of him. Um, right, they didn't actually do it and therefore it wasn't yes. convoluted like it could have been. Right. Yes. We and we kept thinking it was going to come after the match. I didn't even think to do it during the match because we've only ever seen that one time. I thought that was that was very well done. The only thing I would the only thing I would have um, I would have added to the finish was when they are burying Roman. I would have rolled Paul Heyman out of that pile. <laughs> <laughs> Just throwing him on top of him. Yeah. Because Paul <laughs> there and then that's the final <laughs> bit it would have been a nice touch it would have been absolutely hilarious but that's nitpicking that was really uh it was fun look last man standing matches are really hard to make fun finishes and even this one on paper you say he hits him with the title 9.5 hits him with the title 9.5 we're just we're doing this over and over but in the moment it didn't feel like that it felt like these kept building roman says what he says and then they bury him so that worked I mean, we've seen you know, we've seen people held down via forklift. I feel like somebody was buried in a last man standing match not that long ago. It might have been Braun Strowman. I don't exactly remember who it was. So that was that was a really fun way to do it. It was the type of finish that makes me wonder, as I said on our Twitter free space uh, spaces before the show, if that's the end of Brock because Vince McMahon's no longer around. And 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 BT Sport uh, tweeted out a video of, of Brock climbing into that busted ring uh, with his cowboy hat, climbing up to the, the the higher corner of the ring and then just like sitting there in the corner for a little bit. So I don't know if we'll see Brock or not um, anymore. But but if we don't, that was that was a hell of a way to go out. It was the right winner. And look, it was going to the bar to make a Roman versus Brock last bank standing match. Two things we're sick of slash don't like the bar to make that good 
was pretty high. And they hit it. So really a credit to everybody involved. That was a spectacle. Everybody on Twitter is talking about it. People who don't even follow wrestling. Um, they made a moment. They made a moment and that's what you had to do. And that's what WWE is about. Making moments. They always say it all the time. And they did accomplish that here. I'm glad you mentioned Lesnar is at his last match because it is worth a discussion, a quick discussion. I doubt it's his last match ever. There's going to be a, a time in the future where they need to pull the Lesnar cord and they will, whether it's for Saudi, whether it's for WrestleMania, maybe he only wrestles WrestleMania going forward. These are all things that are possible, but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that it was his last match. And if it was, what a way to go out. Like literally it took everything in the world to beat you. You got a massive reaction the entire show and you still were pretty much put over despite losing. Like you looked mm-hmm. as strong as someone could possibly look, you know, if he's out until WrestleMania, it's a good way to write him off for an extremely long period of time. I would hope if Lesnar was to retire, he would ultimately put someone over in a retirement match where, you know, he he would do the job to put over a younger talent in a major way. I'm not saying that him allowing Reigns to beat him doesn't do that, but Reigns is already established. This did, you could say, make Reigns like completely unquestioned the guy. He already was that, but to beat Lesnar in this way, to end the feud, to get consecutive victories over him, it really did feel like their last match. Something that was mentioned earlier on the show also made it feel like it was their last match. Not to mention, of course, the tagline. One last match, one last time, last man standing. I mean, they told us that it is going to be now in the past. We would have every reason in the world to distrust that. Now, based on what we saw Saturday night at SummerSlam, they've earned the trust to believe that that is possible. At least as far as Roman Reigns goes, it's very possible that's the last time we see Roman Reigns against Brock Lesnar. And if so, it did make up for a lot of the really shitty matches that we've had between them. Yeah, I, I believe it's it's the last match. Look, look, this is, you know, this is the company that gave us once in a lifetime twice. But But I think... <laughs> That there, there's nowhere, there's nowhere else for it to go, especially where Roman is in his career, barely showing up on TV anymore, taking a smaller schedule. The only thing I could see is, like you said, maybe you could do a Roman Brock for a Saudi show. I could see them doing that. One other thing I wanted to show, maybe out like match. five years from oh, yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> like it doesn't yeah. have to be. I mean, it doesn't maybe, have to be this yeah. year or next year. Yeah, yeah. One other, one other thing to say about this match. It kind of also applies to the whole show. Michael Cole was terrific. Mm-hmm. Calling this match, he I'm pretty show. sure he dro- pretty sure he dropped a goddamn or something on the show. He they bleeped the, he, the goddamn, yeah, yeah. You, you you had you had him yelling for the love of God, count faster. Uh, he's just like, can someone get out here and get this crap off of Lesnar at the end? Like he named dropped the cameraman ri- named Stu. Yes, yeah. he named dropped the cameraman. He named dropped referees throughout the yep. entire show, which has to be a. Directive from Triple H slash no longer a directive from Vince. Not being right, it's there. removing it's removing the directive. Right. It adds right. that adds so much when when someone gets beat up by Ronda Rousey or Brock Lesnar and that you know and they have a name that makes it more impactful. And there were all sorts of little things on this show that felt like, hey, Vince isn't there anymore, and you can kind of tell. And I'm sure not having Vince McMahon yelling in your ear all the time made it a lot easier for Michael Cole and all of commentary really 
who I thought were very strong, but Cole in particular, just this felt like a different Michael Cole, and I thought he was really good in that main event. Michael Cole's done some really good commentary um, since Pat McAfee joined WWE, but mm-hmm. even when he was doing like the Cruiserweight, or not the Cruiserweight, the Mae Young Classic and and uh, the Shield final show and some of the special shows that WWE did, when he doesn't have Vince in his ear, he is much better. He's the Michael Cole that we know he can be, but without Vince in his ear and without Vince as part of, you know, creative, leading creative, without Vince's mandates of things you can and cannot say on the air or that you have to say and cannot say on the air, he is a completely different announcer. He, I mean, I'm not calling him the MVP of the show. That's not the proper title, but he did one of his best commentary jobs probably of the last 20 years at SummerSlam Saturday night. He Mm -hmm. was expert level. He started halfway through the show, the entire second half of the show. I don't know that he missed a beat at any point. Michael Cole deserves a lot of credit. I was going to bring it up later. I'm glad that you already did. Before we move on, I do have some tweets that came in. Look, you guys were awesome. You guys sent us dozens to maybe hundreds uh, by the time the show ended. I picked out a few to include in the show. Hundreds? Really? Well, I mean, after dozens, however many dozens, you get 100, right? So, Well, even more than 100 is impressive. Wow. Well, I mean, between tweets, DMs, yeah. I would say we got over 100 uh, pieces of communique uh, to us over the course of the show. Uh, But point is, I picked out a select few to read just to continue conversation and also allow your perspectives to be on the show. Vindaloo Diesel at Arun. Or Arun. He said, uh, this was one of the most joyous sports entertainment matches ever. I love pro wrestling so much, and this is exactly what I want from WWE. I think one of the reasons, Chris, it came across so well, we've been dealing with WWE for so long where it's just felt PG and sanitized. And you don't have to go rated R, and you don't have to curse and and blade and just get gruesome to put on more mature content that doesn't treat your fans like idiots. This did not feel like the sanitized WWE bullshit that we've been dealing with for a very long time. And I think that's one of the reasons why this came across so well, this main event. Yes. And and again, that kind of comes to commentary too, but it just, it, it feels a little more real and just that people are talking like people. Michael Cole can say wrestling. He can say WWE fans. It felt a little less robotic overall. And that starts with commentary. Uh, McCoy at McCoy 1108. I'm so happy my wife watched that with me. We were losing our minds. Craig Cheney. I can't believe they didn't drop the ring on Brock. I really thought the ring was going to get <laughs> dropped on someone. Now, I'm not upset that they didn't do it because I can't even imagine how dangerous that would be. But I did think like maybe they put Brock under the ring on the part that's lifted and Reigns backs it up and the ring falls on him. And that's the end. Like I did think that was going to factor in. It didn't. Uh, and then lastly, Matthew, he goes, question that I hope you address on the pod. I seem to recall Heyman saying that tomorrow would be day 700 of Roman's reign. However, Cole said a few times that it was 680. Who is correct? Neither of them is correct. It's like yeah. 693, 694. So I think day 700 might be SmackDown on Friday. I think that's what they were going for. So if that's the case and Reign shows up on SmackDown, that would be the 700th day of his reign. But yeah, it's not 680. It's not 700. It's like 693, 694. So I don't, maybe it got lost in translation. Someone screwed up. Uh, anything else you want to say about this before we move on? No, that's about it. Really okay. fun. I'm glad it's finally, finally over. We have the next feud set up. 
and I'm looking forward to it. So this was a good way to finally close this out. Brock can drive that tractor all the way back to Saskatchewan and uh, and have fun. What if that tractor was what got him back to SmackDown? Brock's like, screw this. I'm not, I'm not doing this. Vince is gone. Trip's like, hey, I'll let you uh, ruin the ring with the tractor. And Brock's like, can I keep, can I keep it? I, you know, can, can I drive it back? And he's I like, tell you yeah, what, sure. I saw someone, someone told a story on Twitter. I don't know if this is true or not, but they asked Brock to be a coach on the ultimate fighter when he was at UFC. And Brock said, mm-hmm. yeah, if you get me a tractor, Dana said, sure. And didn't realize that those things cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that's true, but it sounds true. So. Hey, and maybe if that's that what got, happened maybe, here. Maybe that, they, maybe, yeah, maybe they got Brock back on Friday night. All right, That'd be pretty funny. Back. Yeah, okay, okay, Brock, we'll get you a tractor. Yeah, you can use it to ruin the ring, and you can drive it home afterward. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, so but before we get to the next major match, there was a segment that happened on the show that has directly influ- direct influence on the Universal WWE Universal Championship picture. So let's get to that, then we'll get to that match. Drew McIntyre entered ahead of the final three matches of the show. He stopped midway down the ramp. Fans were all around him on both sides. He was back in street clothes, tank top and jeans. Thank heavens. Uh, but he was Ooh, still carrying hello. the sword. Uh, McIntyre mentioned how he lives in Nashville. He joked that Reigns versus Lesnar was the first time ever in Nashville at Nissan Stadium for the undisputed title. He asked the kid his name. The crowd chanted Colt when the kid told him his name. McIntyre promised to beat the champion's ass at Clash at the Castle. Then he raised his sword and Pyro went off. I, I actually thought this was kind of awesome. McIntyre poking fun at the repetitive Reigns Lesnar booking. That was the key to the whole thing, obviously. But he also joked about the sword. He's like, this thing has magical powers. Like, let's see what it does if I lift it in the air. So obviously we have the stupid fire on SmackDown. He lifts it in the air and Pyro goes off. So I did think that was kind of funny, calling back to one of my biggest criticisms of the way they've you know been booking him recently. And the fan interaction got a massive face pop too. Again, Drew in street clothes looks like a badass dude. Yeah. The pop he got, the response that he got said, if you want this guy to take the title off Roman Reigns, this guy can take the title off Roman Reigns and people will buy it. Enough with the kilt bullshit. Enough with the fire coming out of the post. This is the version of Drew McIntyre that we need in WWE. I actually thought it was a great segment. Yeah, and it got me excited that they've made that decision that this is the Drew moving forward, that we're, we're going back to this. Keep that man in jeans and a tank top at all times when he's not wrestling in a ring in his, in his stuff. Cause that, that is how you make that guy look like a million bucks. Because yep. when you just see that, when you just see people in tights and they're all around other half naked dudes in tights, it doesn't stand out as much. But when you see a guy fill out a tank top like that, <laughs> you understand, Oh, that, that's a day hey now. Like, yeah. And, and the, the sword, Honestly, it like it works with that look. It does. Like if better. he just carries the sword with the street clothes, like it works better than when he's half naked in the trunks with it. So like if he just wants to have it and carry it around, like it kind of goes back to it's a great accessory, but they've leaned into it yes. way too much, you know, slamming it into the ground to create the entrance, cutting robes, shooting fire out of stuff like it's way too much be like subtle with it let him just carry it around and just the image of the sword tells you everything you need to know about it like you don't need to do too much with it so we'll see what it is moving forward but this told me seeing him in street clothes seeing him cut jokes about the magic sword it told me hey we're going into this main event match 
I'm going to be the Drew that like I used to be. I'm going to be like the guy who meets this moment. And it furthered my belief, my confidence in what I predicted a couple months ago is that I think Drew's going to take the title from Roman at Clash of the Castle. And I think you had to have him on SummerSlam doing something like that to let people know that this is coming. Yeah, one of uh, my biggest criticisms going into this pay-per-view, premium live event, what have you, was how many stars were not on the card. Mm -hmm. And then they took two off, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But they found a way to get a lot of stars on the card, even those that weren't booked. And I did think that was, I don't know if that was Triple H, uh, if that was just how it was planned initially. And, you know, we were upset that they weren't announced, but they obviously were planning to have them show up anyway. Either way, the end result, there were a lot of really big names on the card that weren't set for matches. And this with Drew was notable because, yes, you need to promote your main event for your next premium live event, especially when it's already set. This was already set. They got Drew in a big moment, made him look like a big time baby face. Super successful. Really quick before we move on, I want to give a shout out to Michael PSAs for being the producer of the SummerSlam main event. Reigns Lesnar, last man standing. Extremely good job doing that match. Okay. One other thing I want to say, because you you just said something, you said premium live event. For the record, the anti-piracy graphic that they put up at the beginning of the show calls them pay-per-views. So you you were you're still allowed to say pay per view. I okay. do both. I alternate. I try to do the best I can. You did. You um, did. I just I noticed that and I want to make sure yeah. I pointed it out. So let's get to um, what really was the co-main event of the show, but it was actually the match that opened the show: the Raw Women's Championship, Bianca Belair versus Becky Lynch. Becky entered in a outfit kind of inspired by uh, Jean Grey from X Men. Uh, that's that was the look that she had. Uh, There wasn't much to this, though. Like I said, there was no pyro. It started the show. I don't even think there were AR graphics. Becky may have had one, but it was it was still light out. So it was just a very different look going into this match. Belair hit Lynch with a KOD across the barricade. Lynch grabbed her braid to drag Bianca into the barricade before hitting her draping leg drop off of it into the timekeeper's area. Really inventive spot that led to Belair uh, selling an injured arm shoulder for the vast majority of the match. Bianca later caught Becky trying her draping leg drop inside, but she caught her with a powerbomb, also inventive, not as successfully executed. Belair hit a glam slam into the ring apron. Lynch tried to drag her via her braid into the ring post, but Bianca reversed it and also hit a suplex at ringside. Lynch hit a rollover stunner off the ropes for a near fall. Belair later powered her into a face buster. Lynch countered a KOD, but couldn't lock and disarm her. Belair literally dragged her under the ropes, like in her arms uh, for a KOD at ringside. Belair couldn't bring her back inside the ring, and she was totally ready to settle for a countout. But Becky slid back in at 9.9, and Bianca was stunned. Lynch flipped out of a KOD, but Belair hit a really big spine buster. Lynch caught Belair on the top rope and eventually dragged her off of it with the braid. And when she dragged her, she like pulled her into a manhandle slam. Belair kicked out at 2.9 in a perfect false finish. Becky was just as stunned as Bianca was earlier. Lynch then caught Belair on the ropes and was ready for an avalanche manhandle slam. Instead, Belair countered into a middle rope Spanish fly and immediately hit the KOD to get the clean one, two, three in 16 minutes. Becky pouted. She offered her hand after the bell. Bianca hesitated. She accepted. Then they hugged. And then Belair clearly whispered something to her like, thanks for putting me over and and all that type of good stuff. I don't know what she said, obviously, but they were having a conversation. It was very obvious. This match, Chris, was every single thing it needed to be. Incredibly competitive. 
tremendous in-ring action, great storytelling, fantastic callbacks, really strong false finishes, but not too many. They didn't spam them. They just just enough to make you think each of them would win basically 1.5 times. The baby face went over. The heel came to terms with being bested. The feud ended. I'm going to have to rewatch this. And I'm going to have to rewatch the WrestleMania match because I need to determine what's better. It's been so long since then. It's really not active in my mind. But when I broke that match down on our WrestleMania night one instant analysis back in April, I called it one of the best women's matches ever, one of my favorite matches ever, and the match of the year to that point in April. I think I gave it five stars and an A+. I may have even gone 5.25 stars and an A+. So to contrast that with this, the crowd was not as hot in Nashville. It was a title retention instead of a title win, so the reaction after the bell is different. And it was also during the daylight. It also was not as fast-paced and intense. Not saying the action wasn't good. It was great. But compared to that other one, that one felt like it was a non-stop, knock him down, drag him out brawl. This one just felt like a really damn good wrestling match that crescendoed to a finish as it's supposed to. So I'm going to say 4.75 stars, A+. Uh, Bianca Belair, she doesn't just have it. Bianca Belair is it. She may be a top five women's wrestler of all time when all is said and done. Right now, she's one of one in terms of athleticism. And I just can't praise this enough. I really need to watch them back to back to truly determine which one's better. Maybe adjust the scores. But an A plus is an A plus. It was one of the best matches of the year. You really could not have asked for more out of them. Uh, I mean, to me, the Mania match was far better. And look, I was in the stadium for that. So maybe it was shaded a little bit. But this, it was really good. To me, it didn't get anywhere close to that level. It was a bit slow at times, which is fine. Again, it's just, it's just again, that last match was maybe the greatest women's match of all time. This had a terrific finish, you know, and and everything and in all that. It did. It just it kind of felt a little slow at times. It didn't. It didn't have the urgency, and the daylight is a factor. Like I think daylight wrestling actually looks really cool. It makes things look unique. Something we don't get all the time, but it also doesn't feel quite as prime time, you know, because it's just, it's it's not, it's the same thing with a football game that happens during the day versus ha- one that happens at night. You know, like how do you compare, an, an, how do you compare a near main event to an opening match? Like it's, it's very difficult, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So like it, it, that, that's not to take anything away. I just, to, to me, the main match was much better. This was terrific. This was great. The right, the right thing happened. I like that they came together at the end because there's nowhere else for Becky to go at this point. You kind of can't be this heel who deserves blah, blah, blah when you've gotten your chances and you blew them. So we got that resolution. That was great. And then obviously stuff happens later. And I think that maybe makes us like the match a little bit even more. But this was, I, I was thinking maybe like 4.25 or something like that. I, I, I thought oh, that's it was really way too good. Low. That's way too low. I, I, t- t- I, I may have to rewatch it. But in, in the moment, it just it didn't feel nearly as urgent. And, and stuff like that. So just, this is how I, I saw it. It's very difficult for a rematch or a second, third match in a series to be better than the first one when the first one is so great. Really, there's so mm-hmm. few series in which that's the case. Um, Seth Rollins' Cody Rhodes is actually an example of it recently. 
that was due to forces, you know, previ- previously unforeseen. And certainly sure. Kazushika Okada and Kenny Omega, their series, not every match was not necessarily better than the one that preceded it. But two of the matches that succeeded the first one were better than it, with the, their last match being the best match of all time, in my opinion. So it's it just very difficult to accomplish. And again, that moment at WrestleMania was so momentous and, and notable because I said the moment was momentous. That's fine. Uh, it's, it's late. Uh, but it was so notable and important for Bianca Belair, the wrestler, for you know popular culture to some degree. Um, and just because of their storyline and her overcoming the odds of Becky Lynch, she wasn't overcoming odds. She came in as champion here. Everyone expected her to retain, right? So you're not, the excitement level is nowhere near the same for you as the viewer. So I think the work was really good. There were a couple slip-ups in the match, but both of them super talented, damn good match. It's nitpicking, whether it's, whether you're at five stars beyond where I am, you're at where I am, 4.75, A+. Chris, 4.25, 4.5. It was an A to A-plus match. And yes. do you agree that it was the best match of the show? Because for me, it was the best match on the show. Uh, let me pull up the card here real quick. Um, you don't remember the eight matches that you just saw? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> if, if we're talking wrestling, it's without a doubt the best yeah, match. Yeah, from a grading standpoint, it was the best match yeah. on the show. Yes. I mean, I mean, to, to, if you're talking about the wrestling, it's not the biggest moment of the show. So that's no. the one we just talked about before. It's the one right. we'll remember the most. But pure wrestling, yeah, this was number one for sure. I should also note quickly before we move on, Becky did legitimately appear to injure her shoulder or arm or something yeah. like that during the match. She did walk out with trainers afterward. Obviously, we hope she's okay. If she takes a, a little time off, you know, that wouldn't be the end of the world. But clearly they're setting up a program they're going to get to in a moment. So I truly hope that this isn't a situation where like they really put their foot on the gas and started something. And all of a sudden Becky's injured and not able to participate. That would be a huge downer. But Chris, and she kept working through that. She kept working through that match with the elbow. She did well, a shoulder injury too. So shoulder, really elbow, arm, whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. Credit to her. But Chris, we need to talk about what happened immediately after this match. So we do. Belair is in the ring celebrating. And all of a sudden entrance music hits and it's not any entrance music. It's Bailey's heel entrance music she gets a massive pop comes down to the ring short hair but with red streaks in it she stops at the turn of the ramp and she gives a weird look when all of a sudden dakota kai's music hits who wwe released recently apparently is re-signed with wwe and my feel spot is activated the lights on and if it was not already activated what happened next fucking sent it to orbit because Io Shirai made her main roster debut. Bailey, Dakota Kai, Io Shirai, they all posed. And then they hit the ring to confront Bel Air with Bailey screaming how she's the best in the world. Uh, or how not she's just the best in the world, but all three of them are the best in the world. Becky Lynch then runs in, sides up next to Bianca. Belair's confused that Lynch is like having her back. Fans immediately chanted for Becky. So the turn from heel to face, snap, immediately happens. And the heels eventually back off to end the segment. Chris, this was absolutely flawless. It was Adam Cole, Brian Danielson debut adjacent in terms of surprise after surprise. And 
they ended it with arguably the greatest women's wrestler in the world making her main roster debut. Holy shit. Chris, there was something that we used to say on my old podcast. Give Trips the book. It was basically a cattle call, right? Like we were begging WWE to move on creatively from Vince McMahon to Paul Levesque. And we said it when something incredible happened on NXT or something in WWE was particularly terrible. This segment right here to open SummerSlam was the definition of Trips getting the book between the match, Bailey's return, Dakota Kai re-signing after being released, Io Shirai, whose contract was reportedly expiring and she was planning to go back to Japan, debuting on the main roster and presumably re-signing, and Becky Lynch turning babyface, feel spot after feel spot after feel spot after feel spot. It does not get better than this. The women's division was completely revitalized in the span of like five minutes. And suddenly there are also plenty of women's tag team opportunities on the table. This was a grand slam home run. This was Triple H throwing it on the table and saying, what else do you guys want from me? Like, like this is just the beginning. To follow the expected Bailey return with two surprises was exceptional. To keep all of it quiet, especially Shirai and Kai. Dude, that was absolute perfection. I'm happy. I'm pumped is what I am. That was a good one, yeah. Well, I, I'm not going to give Triple H credit for everything. I think the match, Becky face turn, these are things that were, were going to happen anyway. I'm talking but about it, the post match. I'm talking about the post match. Yeah. So Bailey, so Bailey comes out, and I missed the pop because two of the stupid puppies were fighting with each other, just wrestling with each other, making noise. So she's coming out. They're she's inspired. walking real. She's just like walking slow, and I'm like, it's going to take her forever to get to the ring. Here. What are we doing? <laughs> right. Right. And then she stops, and I'm like, oh, this is weird. Also, uh, yeah. And then music hits. I'm not familiar with it. And I see Dakota Kai coming out. I remember Dakota Kai got cut not that long ago. And that's the moment. And I tweeted it at that exact moment. Begun the Triple H era has. Dakota Kai coming out to me was the, that's the signal. Mm -hmm. She's back. She's here on the main roster. We're doing it my way. You throw an Io Shirai on top of that, and you're like, holy shit, here we go. They get to the ring. Becky Lynch is the face. She's with Bianca. I'm like, boom, face Becky. This is exactly what we needed, exactly where she needed to go after this. Becky says to, to the group, she says, she she mouths or says to them, like, you want to fucking go. <laughs> she oh, did she? Said that. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. Someone, someone posted a clip of that. You could see her saying that. So, like, that was legit. Only thing I would have changed is... I would have had them like brawl a little bit and just kind of have them have the faces throw the heels out of the ring like real quick. I hate when the heels back down, especially when you're like making your debut here. It's three mm -hmm. on two. Why are you backing down? Like just have a little run around. You throw them out the ring. Bailey's like, I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. That's the only thing I would have added. Um, but but other than that, yeah, that was this was the opening of the show. And it's like, this is new. This is different. This is really going in a new direction with a lot of things. Triple H tweeted later, like we have plenty more surprises coming and stuff like that. So um really excited. Like, like again, the bar 
to make us excited with a change of direction was very, very low. And you do stuff like this and, and we're all in. And like you said, maybe women's tag team titles come back. Maybe Triple H is the one who can kind of mend some wounds a little mm-hmm. bit with Sasha and Naomi. I don't know. exactly, yep. But these are the things that now feel possible. Because Triple H, simply because Triple H is in control of Korea. Anything feels possible. I'm not doing yes. anything is possible. I'm not doing that. But but it feels like, look, they're, they're not going to do a dual brand pay-per-view with AEW. Okay, they're not going to send people to the G1. No. Like, the, these <laughs> no, things aren't no. happening. But when I say no. anything's possible, it feels like the people that we like, the people that we believe, and when I say we, I mean all of us, the royal we, everyone listening, the people that we like, that we think, Hey, man, they should really get pushed. They should get main event opportunities. They should get a title run. It now feels like those wants and needs have an actual chance of being fulfilled in a real meaningful way. That women's wrestling is going to get, I mean, it already gets multiple segments, but not three-minute match, three-minute match, 15-minute match. Instead, like 8-8-20. You know what I mean? On Raw. You have the belief now that like, WWE is going to take seriously the things that we hold dear to our hearts that we are getting really excited about or would get really excited about. And this was just like the opportunity for Triple H to put his stamp on SummerSlam. Like, you know, we don't know what was planned or what wasn't planned, what did change or didn't change. But what I do know is that Dakota Kai was not re-signed before Triple H became head of talent again. And there's a very good chance Io Shirai was not re-signed before Triple H became head of talent. So if in a week's time, those are like the first two moves he made, then major credit to him. It popped me, like I said, it hit me massively in the feel spot. This was so expertly done. And I do actually disagree with you. Um, I, I do like when people fight and, and that type of stuff happens, but this was about the moment. This was not about a fight. This was about, holy shit, Bailey's back. Oh my God. And she's with Dakota Kai. Oh my God. She's also with Io Shirai. That's what this was about. It popped me. It, it, Them right, fighting wouldn't have accomplished anything. No, but you just, you do, oh, they're going at it. And then, and then you just, you throw them over to the ring and they roll out and they just say, I'm coming for it. Like, but then they kind of look like, weak in their first appearance and they're they back down. Three of the they're best three, women's wrestlers three, in the world. They're, they're three on two and they, they were no, it was smart. I'm a heel. I'm taking you guys out. It wasn't. They're not that. smart. It was, it was three on two. You could have beat them up. No, Maybe it's smart to not. It's smart to not do it in that moment when they're both in the ring together. You want to attack them three on one, not three on two. It's come on. It's, if it's it was two, wrestling if it was, if it was two and if it was two, it's hardly the been? first time that heels had bigger numbers and, and and walked back. It's hardly the first time. Usually the faces are the dumb ones in WWE. I guess it's a new era. So. Okay, well, whatever. Uh, I should also note, I should note here that Io Shirai has been renamed Io Sky, I-Y-O-S-K-Y. Certainly not the worst name change. Given her gimmick is genius of the sky, Sky and Shirai sound very similar. It's super close to her real name, but it is definitely a downgrade. Also, if they do not call this tag team Kai and Sky, like Kai and Tai, I don't know what they're doing. Give them Funaki style blue shirts. It's a home run. I'm all in. I hope they have a really good group name. Um, but I'm very excited about this. Look, just be excited. Her name isn't EO because I'm sure that was on the board. <laughs> I mean, EO would have been okay. It really would. I like been. EO Sky better than EO. I just don't like the Y. I Y O. It's weird. I know why they do it. But still, it's. I-Y-O wait, is wait, very, wait, wait, very wait, how, wait, how is it spelled again? So the first name S-K- is 
the first yeah, name. How's the last name? I'm getting. I'm getting here. The first name is E O I Y O. Right. The last name is Sky S K Y, like Sky. Oh wait, so they changed her first name spelling. Uh, well, her name wasn't it always her I-O? name's E O. Her name's E O Shirai. Her I O right. was her old first name. Yeah. Now it's I Y O. They inserted a Y. Okay, so yeah, so they changed her first name. They added the Y. That is weird. Correct. I didn't catch that. That that's yeah. Weird. Yeah. And it's not even her real name. I mean, but it is something her and her sister have used for, you know, decades or I guess at this point uh, out of Japan to the United States. So, look, they changed it. It's not the end of the world. We can talk about it at another time. I just thought calling them Kai and Sky is would be very funny. So hopefully they do that. Uh, I do have some DMs here. I didn't get them for every match, but I do have them here. Uh, Brian Devell at the Blue Ribbons pairing EO and Dakota with Bailey was perfect. Three women who were, quote unquote, forgotten in NXT. And we're called up way too late. Completely true. I should also note, gives us the opportunity to one day have Dakota Kai, Raquel Rodriguez tag team again. Very excited about that possibility. Uber Noodle, I'm here live. He was there in Nashville. Bailey's reaction was nuts. But when Dakota's music hit, it's lucky there wasn't a roof. This place would have blown it off. Insane pop. And then DDW at D and W12786. I was certain... Any of Tripp's fingerprints on creative wouldn't be felt until weeks after SummerSlam. Took the first match to prove me wrong. Triple H is here and he's making some changes. That's exactly how I felt coming out of this. Agreed. It was a great start, not just for the show, but it gets you just, like you said, it makes you feel like anything really could happen moving forward. And that's exciting. Now we do have plenty of SummerSlam still to break down. We will go through these matches a little bit quicker. Uh, Let's go to the SmackDown Women's Championship. Liv Morgan against Ronda Rousey. On SmackDown, Morgan and Rousey, Natalia and DeVille, they got into it backstage. Rousey stormed to the ring, demanded Shotzi leave. Shotzi took a swing. She ate Piper's pit from Rousey. Rousey then fumbled her words, but she shit-talked a fan, like, into submission. It was really funny. Uh, So we ended up getting Liv and Ronda against Natalia and Sonya. Rousey and Morgan blind tagged themselves. Liv got her ass kicked. Fans chanted for Rousey. Liv hit a codebreaker and went for a fall instead of tagging. Liv chose not to tag again, but Oblivion failed. She ate a discus clothesline. Rousey finally tagged herself in to hit DeVille with Piper's pit. Natalia broke up an armbar. Liv hit her with Oblivion. Rousey cinched in the ankle lock for the win. Rousey then raised Liv's arm after the bell. This was a storyline-driven match, but it didn't make much sense to me why Morgan was refusing to tag Rousey. That was the storyline of the whole match. Why would she be trying to prove herself when she's already champion? That's just kind of dumb babyface logic. It also immediately made me very worried about the booking at SummerSlam. I, I disagree uh, on that. First off, Ronda coming out and doing what she did, talking shit to the fan, saying your mama didn't raise you right. I was like, that boom, was yeah. this is why Ronda Rousey should be a heel. She is a very good heel. <laughs> like, like, just lean into that. Keep doing that. That's great. I love it. As for the match, Liv wanting to prove herself, to me, made sense. Because I, she kept talking about how she's the underdog and Ronda Rousey keeps talking down to her and not taking her seriously and stuff like that. So it makes sense that she'd want to try to prove that she could do it on her own. So I actually thought it was it was a really good segment overall. And I, I thought it told the story well and, and moved everything to, to, to Saturday. So I, I really liked it. I would agree with you if it was not one night before her title defense. That's where I'm kind of coming into it and saying, maybe stay fresh sure, for your but, match. But, and yeah, you know. Sure, but I mean, Liv's been saying I'm the underdog for a couple of weeks. I disagreed because, like you said, she's a champion. But if that's the right. story you're going to tell, you know, that's a good way to go about it. All right, so getting to the match on SummerSlam, Rousey came out in all black without any smile, which told me 
what I thought I needed to know about the booking for this. Rousey attacked at the bell. She took Liv down. Wait, 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 wait. Well, she she didn't smile and wore all black, but she walked down and high fived every single fan down the no, she didn't. Ways. No, she did not. Yes, yeah, she did. I nope. looked. I watched it because I was thinking she's touching like every fan for a good. Like, she may 20 have like allowed. She may have yeah. touched them, but she was not like arms out. You know, ha- hitting fives all the way down, smiling well, she, like she normally. She does. wasn't smiling, but she had her arms out and stuff like that. I just oh, okay, to but put it, that out you're you're, you're drawing the line. You're drawing the line between like turning heel, like we're making it kind of clear you're going to turn heel, and then making it obvious. It so felt she's not going to come like down. She she's not going to come down and like give the fans middle fingers. No, but she didn't. She she could have ignored the fans. To me, it felt like she was being serious, but she was being a face. Credit she was not her. at like, all. To, she was not at was, all acting like a baby face like she normally does on the way to the ring. She I just would recommend you go back and watch that. Because okay. she was definitely even if she fans. touched a couple people, she wasn't acting. Like it a was baby a face. lot of fans. I kept. I was like, she's okay. touching. She's got a long way to walk here. So anyway, so, go back and watch it. So Rousey attacked at the bell. She took Liv down with her signatures. Morgan countered Piper's pit with a code breaker. Rousey stopped Oblivion, but her shoulder was up on a pin attempt. Liv rolled her into rings of Saturn. Ronda stood up with Liv on her shoulders. I thought she was going to finish the match right there, but Morgan actually turned her over and hit a crucifix driver for a near fall. Rousey then locked Liv in an armbar over the bottom rope. She released it, obviously, because of the count. Then she locked her in an armbar inside the ring, but Liv reached the ropes and got applause. Rousey put Liv in an armbar a second time, but she rolled to the ropes and again got cheers. The referee wanted to stop the match because Liv was selling her arm. She couldn't Lift it, couldn't move it. Morgan insisted on continuing uh, because she only had one arm, but she could go with one arm. Rousey put her into an arm bar a third time, but this time Morgan stood up and twisted Ronda kind of to her side and eventually onto her shoulders what looked like a clean one, two, three to retain the title in five minutes. Now, as soon as the bell rang, Rousey was incensed. She claimed that Morgan tapped and they showed replay. It was obvious that Liv tapped at the half count between two and three. Rousey saw it. She snapped. She put Liv back in the armbar for a fourth time. Liv screamed bloody murder. Then she put the referee in an armbar. Michael Cole sold it. Like, how the hell can you do that? You're going to get suspended. The whole nine yards there. Sean Davari and Jamie Noble ran in. And I thought when two wrestlers come into the ring, she's about to put them in the armbars also. But she didn't. She didn't do it. And I was like, oh, that's kind of disappointing. I thought she was going to go on a full rampage. But this overall is what I like to call like escape booking. It was a company that put itself in a really difficult spot, finding a way to book its way out of it. And that's what happened here. It was a babyface versus babyface match. Liv was super over as the new champion. It really would not have made sense for them to wrestle for 15 minutes and live to get over on Ronda Rousey, like given the way both of them have been booked historically lives not that strong and Rousey is way too strong for something like that to happen. Now, maybe the original plan was Rousey winning and Triple H changed it. Maybe not. Maybe this was the plan the entire time. Either way, Rousey did not beat Liv for the title. And that is a positive. We got the Rousey heel turn that we badly wanted and she badly needed. Liv did unfortunately look weak in getting her ass kicked for the majority of five minutes. But I will note she escaped the armbar two different times and was smart enough to earn the finish the way she did. It wasn't a good match, 2.25 stars in a C, but it keeps us interested. What's next for Rousey? Will Liv be healthy enough to defend the title? Will someone take advantage of her? Tune in Friday. That's the goal of the entire thing. WWE did the best job it possibly could 
without giving this more time to have Liv wrestle and get over. They did the best job they possibly could to get out of Ronda Rousey's rematch and keep Liv Morgan as champion. They did a remarkable job of closing that whole thing and moving it forward in a really exciting way, considering it was such a god-awful match. Um, it was sloppy as all hell. They did not have good chemistry together. Couldn't figure out what they were doing. I don't know whose fault exactly that was, but it was it was rough. I think there might have been some booze early on. I don't know if Ronda couldn't figure out how to take the crucifix pin or Liv couldn't deliver it right, but they tried it like three times before they finally got it. And so that was a bit of a mess early on. When Liv escaped the armbar the second time, then I was like, oh, they're actually, they're telling a good story here. Like, Liv is not strong enough to beat Ronda Rousey, but she's agile and quick enough and smart enough to escape Ronda Rousey. And that's an interesting way to kind of tell mm-hmm. the story of the match. And that was working. And, and, and Liv starts picking up her screams to kind of sell it better because, again, it was things were moving sloppy. And I saw the tap and the one, two, three happened like simultaneously with my eyes. And I was like, oh, man, I love that. That is an awesome way to get out of this. It reminded me exactly of Undertaker versus Kurt Angle back in 2002. Um, when Undertaker put Kurt Angle up for the last ride, Angle got him with some uh, some submission with his legs or whatever it's called, the triangle or whatever it is. And Undertaker taps as Kurt Angle's getting pinned, set up the triple threat with the rock. That this was, I was like, this is exactly it. Liv can say she pinned Ronda. Ronda can say Liv tapped. Liv tapped before she, you know, before the three count, which is why she didn't let go. But Liv wins. Like it, it all made sense, and it made sense for for Ronda to be pissed. She reacts the way she does and turns heel essentially. Uh, and I, I loved it. So they they got to where it needed to go. I'm excited for what happens next. I think there's all sorts of possibilities. You didn't need to do this match. The way you didn't need to do this rematch. You didn't need to do it, put this on the table in the first place. But given what you had, that was a great way to get out of it. So credit to whoever came up with that idea. Yeah, uh, Rousey definitely deserved the rematch just because she lost her title, obviously, through a Money in the Bank cash-in. But for them to be able to get out of it, for Liv to look scrappy, resilient, all those things that you that you noted, it really was ultimately a success. I should give credit, by the way, to TJ Wilson for the Becky Lynch, Bianca Belair match, that absolute banger. Of course, it was Tyson Kidd as the producer for that. And for this one, it was Petey Williams uh, for Liv and Rousey. So very just well done, well formulated to get them out of a very difficult situation. Again, Liv couldn't lose, Rousey couldn't win, yet they figured out a way to make it happen. So, you know, again, probably the worst match on the entire card. Actually, not probably, the worst match on the entire card. But the booking still made sense. And that is not what we used to be able to say. When it was a bad match, it was also bad booking. And even good matches had bad booking. That wasn't the case on this show. Even the worst match was booked well. So credit to them Mm -hmm. for that. Uh, Undisputed Tag Team Championship, the Usos against the Street Profits with special guest referee Jeff Jarrett. On SmackDown, the teams were in the ring. Jarrett stopped them before they started like attacking each other verbally. He got zero reaction, by the way, when he made his entrance. The Profits were aggressive, making fun of the Usos' face paint and the Haka. Uh, Jarrett said his only job Saturday was to count one, two, three, but he wasn't working on Friday night. So the Profits attacked the Usos. Jarrett sold the hell out of a super kick from Jay Uso. Jimmy was pissed. Jay apologized to Jarrett, but he shoved both Usos with the Profits taking them out. The point of the moment was to be 
either giving the Usos a built-in excuse should they lose, they could claim bias, or to actually create a situation in which Jarrett screws them in a blatant way to actually cost them the titles. Jarrett sold the super kick I thought was exceptional, but it was also kind of unnecessary to do this at all. That's the best way I can put it. Um, I, I mean, kind of unnecessary, but they finally got Jeff Jarrett on TV before before the show. It was weird to, to keep having him do backstage stuff, so that was fine. Um, no, it, it was fine. Yeah, it was. It, it, it did. It did. It did make you wonder if it was going to set up something. Right. Involving him in the Usos at SummerSlam. So at SummerSlam for the match, Jarrett got a much better ovation coming to the ring. Uh, the Prophets entrance started with the Tennessee Titans cheerleaders doing a routine before they came out in Titans colors. Uh, and Uso uh, hit and then missed the hip attack. Ford hit a great running blockbuster, then ate a pop-up neckbreaker from Jay. Dawkins took the Usos out with a huge Tope Con Hero on the short side of the ring. Uh, he then hit the underhook spinning neckbreaker for a near fall. Dawkins pounced Jimmy into Ford's arms for a German suplex. Both Prophets ate super kicks, and then fans booed as Jimmy hit an Uso splash, thinking it was the end of the match, but it was a 2.5. Then they hit a double Uso splash, and Montez broke the fall. Jarrett caught Jay's super kick, so Jay was trying to super kick one of the Prophets. They dodged it. Jarrett caught it in his chest. He then twirled Jay around, immediately into Dawkins for the anointment. Ford hit a huge frog splash, but when he landed, he sold injured ribs, for a delayed cover and it ended up being a 2.5 false finish. Tez screamed at Jarrett for the count. Then he ate a stereo super kick while trying a tope suicida. He got thrown over the barricade. The Usos then stereo super kicked Dawkins two different times, hitting 1D to retain the titles in 14 minutes, with Tez flying into the ring a little bit too late after the bell. This was probably the most um, disappointing moment on the show. Like the match was good, it was well wrestled, there were some big spots. It just did not come anywhere close to living up to the Money in the Bank match. And the finish of this was even worse than the finish of that. I appreciated what they did at Money in the Bank to kind of get us here. Um, the only positive here is it was really clear character development for Tez. They're indicating a heel turn and the profit splitting up. And I'm okay with that. You know, uh, Tag teams eventually have to split and Montez is the star. So having him be the one to break off does make sense, but it really wasn't what the people wanted in Nashville, which is the tag team division to get freshened up and the profits to get a legitimate big time title reign before they split. They have been together plenty right. long enough for a split to be legitimate. And WWE has actually done a really good job pumping up Angelo Dawkins to make mm -hmm. him strong without Montez Ford. But the problem is they just never really had that delicious moment together as a tag team where they won the titles in a really, really big spot and then went on a run for six months where you could say, wow, they really are the best tag team in WWE. That never happened for them. So to see them lose here and not get that opportunity to start that here and maybe end it at the Royal Rumble or WrestleMania next year, that was disappointing. And the other problem is that there's no legitimate babyface tag team in WWE right now that's a challenger. So the Usos retaining, again, just feels repetitive and trite. Like Charlotte Flair always winning, or like the rain, the way Reigns used to be pushed when he was a babyface. So I'm going to go with four stars and an A- minus for the match. Maybe I'll go a little bit higher on the rewatch. But again, I was just disappointed. There were no title changes on the show. Spoiler alert. 
And this was the one spot where they could have given us one and they just didn't. And I don't know that there's a good reason why they didn't. Again, even if you want to split the profits, give them the titles first and then split them. Maybe allow the Usos to challenge them at the Royal Rumble a few months from now. They take them, the profits split after that. It was just, it was very disappointing what we got on Saturday from this match. Yeah, disappointing support. Just incredibly disappointing and flat, really, when, when the pin happened. I mean, flat, it wasn't like yes. it wasn't like people like, oh, and the man, the Usos won again. It was just like, all right, we're, we're doing this. We're going to just, we're not going to give the Street Profits our moment, and we're just going to move on to splitting them up. Now, maybe they don't. Like, tip, oftentimes when WWE kind of telegraphs what they're going to do, they do something different. In this case, I think what they're going to do is have Montez be the heel instead of Dawkins or whatever. So, yeah, it was just like when the three count happened, I was just like, really? Like, and, and, and not only, you know, was it a disappointing ending, the match was fine, but it never like picked up. It never really got to a, a high, high gear, it felt mm-hmm. like, which is what most of the Street Profits use those matches were until the Money in the Bank one. So I, I, I don't know, man. I, I did not like this decision at all. Um, credit to Jeff Jarrett, who did a really good job as a referee, like making sure he was always facing the hard cam, getting debris out of the way, good positioning. You know, he said on the Stone Cold podcast that he was a a uh, he started out as a referee when he was a kid before he actually wrestled. So he's been doing it for a long time, and you could tell like he he was he was very good. Um, but yeah, just you know, he 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 didn't really play into it much at all. You know. It, it was just kind of all right. I, I, they they really built it up. This feud probably got the most TV time of anything over the last it did. month. Yeah, and to not pay it off, to not give them, you know, a, a, a banger of a match. Let's see, it was thirteen minutes twenty five seconds. That's shorter than Bianca Becky. That's shorter than Logan Paul and Miz. Like that. That's just. Just again, real disappointing. And it, it, unless they decide, hey, everyone's upset. We want to give the Street Profits a moment. We'll flip and do it on a SmackDown or something. No, I, you can't. You can't run that. I, I don't. It's it, done. it feels yeah. like they decided. Now nah, we're not going to give the Street Profits the big a pay per view moment, and we're going to split them up now. That, that, and, that's and look, pretty clearly telegraphed. Now. And the future is bright for Montez Ford. And you know what? For Angela Dawkins, it's way brighter than it was two months ago. It is. So tag teams, many of them have to end eventually. And the Street Profits were not a long-term tag team. Like the Usos are, FTR is, right? Some teams are I mean, meant to I be tag teams I think they could forever. be. My, my issue with them is always that they never evolved. They've been the same. You come out. Solo cups, you know, like they've been the same thing for years and years. We never really got to know them better as a team. Um, they kind of just did the same thing every single time. And that that was my, also my point is that Montez is such a massive star he, or he has such massive yeah. star potential that you don't keep him in a tag team. You just don't. So sure. eventually they were going to end. It just it's it feels like a huge letdown that you didn't allow one of them, or sorry, them together as a team to have that delicious moment when it was ready-made. They set the table. They served the appetizers, right? Um, they, they gave us drinks and they, they got us ready for dinner and they just 
skipped the entree. They just didn't bring it out. That's all they had to do. Put it on our plates. And they just chose to skip it all the way to dessert. And guess what? Dessert was fruit. It wasn't even cake or ice cream or something really good. They gave us fruit the analogy. at the end of it. That's what they did. It was disappointing. Imagine going to a meal, eating an appetizer and then fruit. That's what this was. It was disappointing, especially when you go to you go to a five-star restaurant, you're expecting like a four-course meal that bangs every single dish. And yes. instead you get that. You're not going to be happy coming out of it. So yeah. yeah, disappointing is the word of the day for this. Wish it was better. Before we move on, I do need to point out, uh, we got the best sign of the night during this match straight across from the hard cam. Guy holding it up, dark letters on white background, never drew a dime. And he held it up every time Jeff Jarrett uh, was involved in the match. Um, just incredible, huge, you know, standing ovation from the Silver King on that. Nice uh, okay, let's let's keep going here. So Seth Rollins versus Riddle was scheduled for this show. It was pulled from the card on Wednesday, and the kayfabe explanation was Riddle suffered a stinger. Rollins uh, tweeted about it. He basically said he was angry. Triple H responded to that tweet later in the day saying, I hear you. And there were no further developments on SmackDown. So the end result was the top work rate match set for the SummerSlam card. Also, as I mentioned, one of two matches that were not rematches or celebrity matches being pulled without any scheduled replacement, and they never made any replacement. And to me, that was a massive disappointment because they easily could have just thrown another match on the card. That was my thinking going into SummerSlam. But during SummerSlam, Riddle runs out of the crowd into the ring with security chasing him before the co-main event of the show. And he had that uh, kinesiology tape or whatever you want to call it um, on his shoulder, even though it was a stinger, whatever. Um, He runs out in street clothes, and it actually gets a pretty big pop because no one was expecting it, and Michael Cole sold it really well. He said Randy Orton told him, never let anything get in your way, and he called out Seth Rollins to fight. Rollins came out in like a creamsicle-colored suit with agents and referees trying to stop him. They ended up battling down the ramp before they wound up getting into the ring, and Rollins hit him with the stomp in front of all the referees and agents who easily could have stopped him. Uh, Fans chanted Rollins' theme, and he was pushed out of the ring. Rollins then talked trash while walking to the back, And Riddle in the ring looked like he was selling the stinger again. He was kind of woozy and unable to stand up. This was really hot. Like, I wish WWE had said to the fans, Rollins will be in attendance to address the situation. That way fans knew that like one of their favorite guys would still be there. But that's maybe a little bit of a nitpick. If you're going to push a match and not do it as advertised for the show, ensuring that two of the best wrestlers in the company and most over superstars in the company still show up is important. And WWE did that. Like I said earlier, it's something WWE did all SummerSlam. McIntyre showed up when he wasn't booked for a match. We'll talk about later how AJ Styles showed up. So while I wanted the match, I did think this was well done in the moment. Riddle got a massive pop. Rollins is as over as ever. And it makes me want to watch Raw on Monday night to see how they follow this up. So it was an interesting way it started because first they showed Kid Rock making out with his, I assume, wife and he flips off the camera and the camera goes to black because it tries not to show it. It comes back. Cole looks like frantic and you see some figure kind of off to the side of the screen and you're like, wait, did a fan just rush I thought it was or something like that? I did. Yeah, it was a for fan, a yeah. quick second, you're like, what is it? And then you cut to the ring, someone run in and you say, oh, it's Riddle. Like, that was well done. Like, I don't, like, 
just the the circumstances of the way it was shot uh, was was good. And, and like you said, real hot when Riddle shows up, Rollins comes out, does his deal. So yeah, they were able to look. They took it off the show. I again, I assume because they didn't want the show to go too long or something like that, and they were able to still add more heat to the feud. So that's a real credit to 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 both guys for selling the hell out of it by doing that. Would have loved to have the match, but that's how you keep it going. It reminds me of the time Seth Rollins showed up on a takeover. Yes. Uh, because he was he was uh, threatening Triple H or something like that. Like he wanted to give a Triple H and he figured that was a way to do it, I think is what it was. So that was it, it reminded me it was similar and it felt spontaneous. And again, that was an NXT thing. Maybe that was Triple H's call. Maybe this is Triple H's call. Um, it felt spontaneous. They executed it well and added heat. So good job. And you know what? Riddle wasn't goofy. He was serious. And it yep. was different. Yep. It felt I real. I love that. I love that. Again, it's a, it's getting away from the sterilized WWE bullshit into, hey, we're not treating you like idiots. Like this is a guy who's mm-hmm. angry, who wants to fight, but he doesn't have to curse. He doesn't have to make Rollins bleed to do it. He's just coming out here and stating his case. It felt real and it made me more interested in the product. And by the way, it built up a feud that had no build. Now yeah. it has build. Now it's exciting. So they accomplished their goal. Uh, let's go to the celebrity matches. We had Pat McAfee against Happy Corbin on SmackDown. Corbin sat ringside with a ticket holding a loser sign that had McAfee's old picture on it. He screamed through popcorn at him before jumping the barricade and low blowing him with a punt kick to the nuts. It was really repetitive with Corbin coming out of the crowd again. Didn't really amp me up any further, but the punt kick did play into the match at SummerSlam. Let's just get into it. Uh, Corbin got halfway to the ring when a choir stationed atop the lower deck started chanting, bum-ass Corbin. Then they started singing Pat McAfee's new entrance theme, which is a blatant ripoff of Seven Nation Army. But it was a banger. And McAfee predictably got a huge response from the crowd. Uh, Corbin pushed him when they got in the ring. McAfee immediately hit a great super kick and then a hurricanrana off the ropes. McAfee flipped off the top rope, but Corbin jumped down and hit a very rare and very violent shotgun drop kick. Um, And that stopped McAfee's showboating. Corbin went on a run. He hit a deep six for a near fall. McAfee threw himself over the ropes for a crossbody. Corbin threw McAfee over the announce table and shoved Michael Cole. Fans booed because now they're on Cole's side because they're friends because he's friends with McAfee. Uh, Back inside, McAfee jumped to the top rope for a superplex just like he did against Adam Cole. McAfee completely lost his balance on the top rope. He still somehow gained it it back and hit a senton bomb outside onto Corbin who was standing upright. McAfee rolled his body out of end of days. Corbin accidentally knocked the referee out. McAfee then gave Corbin a payback low blow for his cheap shot Friday. And then he hit a rough but ultimately effective code red for the one, two, three to beat Corbin in 11 minutes. Michael Cole sang his praises after the bell. McAfee crotch chopped Corbin and Corey Graves. Then he dapped up some friends and he chugged the beer at ringside before walking out. Look, this was not as good as the Cole match, the Adam Cole match, because guess what? Corbin is not as good as Adam Cole. And McAfee's also a few years older. It was a very good celebrity wrestling match. If it was not on the same show as what we're going to talk about next, it would have come off even better than it did. But we got really good work for both guys. I had no issues with the booking or the finish. I went three stars and a B minus. 
Yeah, probably about the same. This is exactly what it needed to be. You know, we've seen McAfee do a lot of these things before. We've seen him jump off the top rope. We've seen him jump to the top rope. You know, so it's not as new anymore at this point. Um, but it was still good and solid, and the finish worked. You know, it's it's a heel doing a low blow, but it was payback for SmackDown. So, like, it, it all made sense. Um, I didn't have really any more thoughts on the match other than it was solid and that was that. It kind of, it's kind of exactly what you expected with, with McAfee's theme. I, I assume WWE didn't want to pay the rights to seven nation army. Absolutely. Time, Absolutely. Which yeah. I imagine is quite expensive. Um, but cause that song gets people hyped. It gets people with Pat McAfee hyped. I saw it at WrestleMania. People go nuts for that song when it was entering. It is a blatant ripoff, but, and I think it will work and get over and fans will sing and stuff. I just think it needs to be a little faster. It's a little slow and it's kind of low energy. Um, so I, this is weird, just music talk, but if you just kind of sped it up a little bit, I think it would be a lot closer to Seven Nation Army and be a lot easier to kind of get excited for it because you kind of want that excitement. It's a little mm. too slow, but yeah, I get it. That could be one of the reasons why it is slower. Also, Pat is so excitable on his own that you don't necessarily need the music to, to accomplish that. But let's not also forget that the only time that you're going to really hear this is when you're at live events or like SmackDown tapings and stuff, and they introduce him to the ring. The guy doesn't wrestle regularly. So this is a theme that they made that we're not going to hear that frequently. But nevertheless, it was still good. It's one of the better, more, more yeah. recent WWE themes. So it wasn't yeah. positive. Well, they do they do Seven Nation Army when he shows up before the show because it's not on TV, so they can do it, so it's fine. Oh, maybe um, they will. Yeah. I, okay. So, yeah. but but I assume they're going to move to this one just to get fans used to it. I assume. Yeah. I don't know. I guess we'll see. That, that would make sense. I would be remiss, by the way. You met, earlier mentioned incredible commentary uh, throughout the night. I would be remiss if I did not point out an incredible commentary exchange during this match. So Corey Graves says, I liked you better when you weren't allowed to have an opinion. And Michael Cole responded, that's changed. A lot's changed. And it was just, <laughs> it, it completely like put arms around what was already obvious, right? Commentary was different. The show was different. We're not saying that everything that happened on SummerSlam was because of Triple H, but clearly there were elements of the show and definitely a change in commentary. That was a direct result of a change in the lead of creative. And that would be Paul Levesque. Let's get to the second celebrity match, Logan Paul against The Miz. This was also the second match on the card. Miz came out with a one-of-one Polaroid around his neck. That was making fun of Logan's NFT from WrestleMania. That was absolutely ridiculous. Maurice and Champa were ringside with Miz, all dressed, by the way, in matching gear, which I thought was interesting. Miz mocked Logan's inexperience early. Logan hit a good apron moonsault outside. Champa interfered with the referee's back turned, which angered Miz. Paul hit a flying blockbuster without a cover and then got a figure four leg lock without a submission. Paul then hit a huge flying crossbody and a standing moonsault for a near fall. The referee caught Champa trying to interfere a second time and ejected him. He refused to leave and grabbed the chair sitting at ringside. That's when AJ Styles music hit, but instead of making the entrance, he flew in from out of nowhere off the barricade to hit Champa with a phenomenal forearm. They battled into the crowd. Back in the ring, Paul hit the phenomenal forearm on Miz for a false finish. Then he threw Miz onto the announce table, pointed at Maurice, pulled off the back part of a turnbuckle pad, threw it in her face, which I really believe was total improv. It was great. And then hit one of the most thunderous frog splashes 
off the top rope into an announce table that I can remember. It put the Shane McMahon ones to absolute shame. I think those were elbow drops. Nevertheless, you get my point. Um, Frog splashes him through the table. Nissan Stadium went wild for that spot. Maurice then distracted during the cover attempt. Miz grabbed the Polaroid chain that I mentioned. Paul ducked a shot from it. He paused Miz because he was running at Maurice. He almost hit her. Paul caught him from behind with a skull-crushing finale, and he got the win to a huge babyface pop in around 13 minutes. This was exceptional from Logan. He has no business, Chris, being this good this soon. He was good in his first match. He was outstanding in this match. This was one of, if not the, single best celebrity wrestling effort that I can remember. One reason my grade isn't higher is because there was a lot of slowed down stuff during the match. But I went four stars in A-. minus. It's one of the Miz's best matches, probably. This guy is 27 years old. I'm not suggesting that he is going to wrestle for the next 10 years. But if he wanted to, he absolutely could. You cannot teach effort. We got full effort from Logan Paul. The guy even mimicked the rocks like open hand slaps. This was an awesome effort from him. A really good job by The Miz putting him over. And a shocker as one of probably what? The three or four best matches on the card. Oh, yeah. Top three, I think, for sure. Uh, you know, when um, when the WrestleMania match happened, you know, I said at the time, you might you may have too, that that might have been the greatest celebrity wrestling debut of all time. And in that or celebrity match of all time, really. And now I, I think we're ready to say perhaps few people ever have picked up professional wrestling so quickly, so well, period, like celebrity or not. You could be a pro athlete like it's it's not quite Kurt Angle level, but like dude is as natural through two matches that we have ever seen. This this dude did a standing moonsault. Like this was this was ridiculous. And look, yes, he got a big cheer at the end. He, you know, you, if you do the Shane McMahon thing and put your body on the line to do some crazy stuff, fans will cheer for you. Absolutely. But he got very little reaction upon his entrance, and. I continue to believe, especially because of how good he is at the wrestling, this dude could be an all-time wrestling heel. Like, like he got his face a moment, that's fine, but like two, three weeks from now, if he shows up on Raw, I don't think he's going to get that many cheers. People still really want to boo him, and him being really good at this will make them want to boo even more because he can talk about how great he is. So, like, this was this blew me away. dude as deplorable as some other parts of his career may have been, the dude is a complete natural professional wrestler. And I don't know what's next for him, but whatever it is, I really, really hope like Rhonda that they just go with the heel because he would get unbelievable heat. And that, that would be, that would just, that would be great. The money is in Logan Paul as a heel. There's no question about it. Um, But holy shit. I mean, to establish yourself in this way on a major stage like this, to do as well as he did, it was honestly remarkable. It really was. He deserves a lot of credit. Ms. Uh, Cigar Man at Chef Aaron uh, 26 
He goes, the athleticism from Logan's been paramount. Never would have expected that huge of a baby face pop. Big credit to Miz. Yes, major credit to Miz, not just for putting him over, for working with him the way he did and just making this entire thing work, selling the way he did. It was really impressive. It really was. Uh, we had a yep, United just like Miz and Sorry. just like Miz and Morrison with with Bad Bunny, like he's the guy you put in these spots. He is uh, to to make everybody look good. Yeah, and and consider how great Bad Bunny looked. Bad Bunny had support in Damian Priest. Logan Paul is out there by himself. Are, are we doing Bad Bunny versus Logan Paul at WrestleMania Hollywood? Dude, they could do Bad Bunny versus Logan Paul versus Pat McAfee in a triple threat match, and I would watch <laughs> the shit out of that. I would. Yeah, me they're too. all good. It's wild. They're all legitimately good in the ring. WWE, they've really figured out like, yeah, let's get some crossover stars that actually want to wrestle. Let's pay them. And it's working. So good for them. Uh, We had a United States Championship match, Bobby Lashley against Theory. Normally, I would have discussed this immediately after the heavyweight, uh, you know, undisputed WWE Universal Championship segment. But this one just didn't really factor in, honestly. Uh, Lashley got sick pyro covering the whole lining of the stadium. He was the first one to get it on the night. He was posing on the top rope and Theory beat him down with the briefcase before the bell. Lashley approved the match to start, but he was clearly hobbled. Theory pretended to leave with the briefcase to sucker Lashley into eating a rolling dropkick. Theory dodged Lashley into the turnbuckle. Lashley then caught Theory rolling into a vertical press, dropping him from the air Oof. into the hurt lock for the submission yeah. win in five minutes. The transition finish here was the best part of the match. Lashley yeah. was over like Rover. Theory played his heel role perfectly. Good, not special. The booking was exactly what it needed to be for Lashley to remain dominant. And Theory losing that way to a guy like Lashley didn't really matter. I don't know, 3.25 stars, three stars, BB minus, something like that. Yeah, look, we said this didn't need to happen, and it didn't. But if you're going to do it, make Bobby Lashley look good. That's what they did. There was the one spot where, where Theory was willing to leave which I think was a good spot because they kept talking about, even during the match, about like, he's probably going to try to cash in later. And right. <laughs> like it really kind of like diminished the, the importance of this match, but Lashley cuts him off. And also at that time, the referee was at like a seven count and just stopped the count, which is okay because referees have discretion on, mm-hmm. you know, kind of how to work the count. So I appreciate that the ref handled that properly. But yeah, other than that, this was, you know, it was, it was what it was. You move on. For sure. And that leaves us with one match. The Mysterios against Judgment Day. No disqualification. This was the middle match on the show. Rhea Ripley came out with Judgment Day. Uh, Judgment Day attacked at the bell. Dominic did a Tope Con Hero through Ray's legs. I guess I'm sorry. That's a Tope Suicida through Ray's legs. Uh, with Ray hitting an awesome springboard moonsault outside. The match slowed drastically after that. Ray got the hot tag without much reaction. Then he did a sliding splash outside with a chair onto Balor. Balor blind tagged, countering a 619 attempt on Damian Priest with a clothesline. Ray then took Balor off the top with an avalanche hurricanrana. The Mysterios went for double 619 when Ripley tripped both of them simultaneously. She grabbed Dominic, continued her ass beating of Dominic, and uh, face planted him into the ring apron. Priest at South of Heaven on Ray. But as Balor called for a chair, the lights went out and a very poorly disguised elevator appeared with Edge rising to the top in a rock star version of a brood entrance with a ton of fire. He booted Priest on the entrance, speared Balor and then Priest in the ring. Then he set up Balor on the ropes for a double 619 with Ray hitting a flying headbutt for the win in 12 minutes. 
I think it was supposed to be his springboard splash and he tripped. So he hit the headbutt, but nevertheless, yeah. that was I don't the think win. He it looked like, it's like he totally missed the ring, but it yeah. actually worked out fine. It worked out fine, but it wasn't what it was meant to be. Uh, so look, it was an epic entrance visually for Edge, but the elevator should have been like built into a set piece. Like this is one of the reasons why they needed a set because it was just those black curtains everywhere. And all of a sudden there's an elevator with stairs just right in the middle of like the end zone or whatever of Nissan Stadium. So it just it didn't feel natural. It was just like the Cody elevator that was randomly in the middle of the ramp for no reason. It's hard for something to be a surprise when it's so clearly set up. And it wasn't even much of a surprise, Chris, because they closed out that series of vignettes on the kickoff show with Edge adding night to I'm coming to. So I'm coming to night. I'm not suggesting this was bad, okay? It just could have been executed far better production-wise than it was. And WWE, that is their calling card, expert-level production. They kind of failed here in that way. It was still visually eye-catching. The match was entertaining enough. There were some really good spots. I loved Ripley's involvement. The booking was backwards. Judgment Day should have won. They should have threatened with concertos. And then Edge makes his return and the faces come out on top after Judgment Day already got the win. Instead, Judgment Day is now 0-3 against the Mysterios. I know it was no disqualification, but they're 0-3 against the Mysterios. Now Edge is back. Edge isn't going to ultimately lose the feud to them. So they're just a middle to low card stable that group that doesn't win shit. So look, I gave it 3.5 stars and a B for the match. It was entertaining. I just wasn't a huge fan of Judgment Day losing again. Yeah, the Judgment Day at this point is essentially dead in the water. I mean, wh- wh- where do you go from here? What 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 revenge does Edge need at this point? Right. They they just, they just they got the revenge and, for him. Like yeah, yeah. It's like that. That's it. Um. So that especially since the Mysterio is one on Raw, we both picked the Judgment Day to win here because like, how do you move forward after that? I don't know. And these are three of the not youngest, but like people who really need a new push in a different direction. And we loved the group of them together. But ever since after the edge turn, they've been looking like absolute garbage. And that was the case here again. And as for edges entrance, you know, you talk about other entrances with elevators and whatnot. It was, uh, I think SummerSlam last year where edge did his brood entrance against Seth Rollins. And the way they shot it was, you just you zoom in real close, you see fire and you see Edge coming up from the bottom of your screen and then it kind of pans out as he walks down the stairs. Yeah, cutting to just here's an elevator with fire and some stairs. Yeah, it kind of didn't quite have the same I don't know, gravitas to it. So, yeah, um, Edge back is cool, but I'm not like into it anymore because right. it's done. Like that was the end of the like. That's supposed to be the end of the feud. I don't know really what to do anymore. Yeah, like, so what? They do Edge and Balor at Clash at the Castle. Edge wins, and then it's like, okay, we're good. Like, I mean, it's possible Balor wins. It's possible Balor certainly wins that, but... No, they're not going to have to. Ultimate, if they do Edge versus Finn at Clash at the Castle in Cardiff, I I would hope Balor would win. I would hope he would win, but... Yeah, I I think Balor wins. Edge is just coming back. And then then Edge wins the next one they do or something like that. Like, Edge will ultimately, I think, come come out on top. I do think Balor would get a win here. But at this point, Judgment Day is not going to be anything. Like That's the problem. At at this point, 
there's they're just it's whatever. And the problem is Judgment Day is not some low card faction that like or group that has, it wasn't supposed to be. No, that, no. that has you know mid middle of the range talent. They have yeah. Finn Balor who could be a champion, a, a world champion. They have Rhea Ripley who has been and could be a women's champion. Balor obviously was uh, world champion for a day. Um, and then they have Damian Priest, who's been a mid-card champion, and probably that's his ceiling. But they're three really talented people. This group should not be booked the way it's being booked. I know Rhea Ripley was gone for a little bit because she was hurt. She's back. Just Why not just have them win and do all of this after? It really didn't make sense. Lastly, yeah. before we get into our final grades and all that, there was a Pure Life water commercial featuring maximum male models pouring the bottles all over themselves and doing a bottled water fight, kind of like the gasoline fight in Zoolander. It was legitimately hysterical. My juices were freaking titillated. Um, but fuck Nestle. But beyond that, it was pretty funny. Whoa. Why do you have such bad feelings toward Nestle? Uh, Google Nestle and you'll understand. All right. Yeah. Um, uh, Brian Gewirtz, former writer, tweeted about this segment. Yeah, great matches, surprise returns, but every ex-WWB writer knows somehow making a backstage product integration not terrible is the true sign of the dawning of a new era. So, <laughs> That's true. Yeah, it was funny. It was not bad at and all. I gotta say, yeah. And, and I wasn't on... Um, uh, I wasn't on... I, I missed part of the, the, the SmackDown recap before, so I never talked about Maxine Dupree before. Let's, save, me, it, it is let's a, save it for um the, the Tuesday show. Okay, but either way, it was good to see Max Dupree back yeah uh doing this so we'll, we'll talk about it more but good to see him back after really brief report after some rumors of some other stuff yeah really briefly chris before we get to grades so nizer uh, at j nizer 17 wrote in he goes if this is triple h booking going forward i'm excited i haven't been this hype for wwe probably since the arrival of aew so i just want to say this before we get to our grades we have suffered so much like all of us who watch wwe tonight felt like a sign of what WWE can be it was not a perfect show by any means. Plenty of criticisms as we've already outlined, but the inventiveness, the surprises, the excitement, the high quality wrestling booking and finishes that made sense. Even if we didn't like them, it just felt so good to watch this show and come out of it and say, you know what? There may have been something that disappointed us. Usos and profits, or that wasn't as good as it could have been, Rousey and Liv, or whatever the case might be. But there was at no point during the show where I said, oh, I can't believe I'm watching this. And that, unfortunately, has been a calling card of WWE for a very long time. So we're going to get to the grades in, the, in a moment. But I just wanted to say, like, as an overview of this show, it was really a pleasant surprise, top to bottom, given what we expected coming in. I think a tweet here from Gabe Sapolsky kind of sums it up, not for us, but perhaps for some other people. He says, I fell out of love with wrestling this year. SummerSlam has sucked me back in. I'm a fan again. And that's notable coming from him. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it, like like we said before, it feels like a lot more new things are possible and just that general excitement. Again, we didn't love any everything Triple H did with NXT, but you felt like it was coming from a good place and you trusted him overall. It has been so long since fans trusted the creative direction mm -hmm. of the main roster WWE, and I think that's about to change. They earned a lot of goodwill from SummerSlam. That's really the best way to put it. Chris, with that, let us get to our grades for WWE SummerSlam. Let's do a reminder 
of our pre-show expectation grades. Uh, the Silver King was initially at a B plus. I did downgrade it to a B once I learned that Seth Rollins and Riddle were off of the show. Chris was a B plus and remained at a B plus despite the change to the card. As far as our pre-show poll, 21% came in with an A, 66% B, 10% C, 2% D to F. I think those are completely fair. Obviously, the D to F is ridiculous, but uh, 66% B with those numbers on the A and C categories. To me, that's a pre-show expectation grade of a B from our listeners. They agreed with me, but again, B, B plus, really picking nits at that point. Chris, let us get to our post-show grades. We will start with the fans, the listeners, the getting overheads, those of you, hundreds of you who voted in our Twitter poll. 75% A, 22% B, 3% C, 0.4% D to F. So not even the troll votes for D to F could could accept that. That's one vote probably, Um, you know, for that. The vast majority, three quarters of respondents said this was an A. People tweeted me A plus. I disagree with A plus. Um, but 22% B, so some maybe didn't like it as much as the listeners that thought it was an A. Chris, we do our post-show grades. You always go first. What is your final grade for WWE SummerSlam? I'm going to go A minus. And it's kind of in that like 91, 92 range, like a solid A minus. Not, not, not at A level, but not at B plus level. Look, there were no title changes, as we said. Mm-hmm. We didn't get the big street profits, you know, crowning moment as as we hoped. But what but we we got good wrestling for the most part. And what I always want out of pay-per-views are moments. Doesn't have to be a title change, but title change is a big one. We got Brock Lesnar flipping a ring in half with a tractor. We got Bailey coming back with surprise Io Shirai, Io Sky, and Dakota mm-hmm. Kai. Yeah. And we got Logan Paul blowing us away again. Um, we we got moments. So I'm going to say solid A minus. I'm right there with you. Um, I'm probably higher than 91, 92. I'm probably at like. 93, 94. So on the cusp of an A to an A minus right on that ridge right there, because this show was not about match quality and adding all those grades together, averaging it out. And that's what the show was. So much of what was good about SummerSlam wasn't really about work rate, right? It was sure we got, we got the great opening match that I absolutely loved. We got the very damn good closing match. Logan Paul surprise. Those were the three best matches on the card. But we also got the Bailey Dakota Kai Io Shirai moment. We had the Drew McIntyre moment, the Riddle and Seth Rollins moment, the, so the AJ, AJ Styles, um, you know, helping out Logan Paul. Edge's entrance and return, even though it wasn't, you know, the way I would have done it, and I thought it was a little sloppy, it was still a big moment. So a lot of stuff happened on this show that was not really about just the in-ring wrestling. So. I'm right on that border. Like I said, 93, 94, A minus A. This was one of, I'm trying to think, this may have been, I don't know that it was the best pay-per-view or premium live event of the year. This may have been the most entertaining premium live event or pay-per-view of the year. What do you think about that? I mean, I think WrestleMania was more entertaining. Even, I mean, night one of WrestleMania. Night one of WrestleMania? Was was more entertaining. Yeah, yeah. This could be be alongside that, maybe... Between that and night two, 
Definitely, definitely yeah, look, too. Yeah, I don't remember, but we was it Money in the Bank we gave like A minus A type stuff or we may have given it like a ninety. There was was a recent. I think we I think we gave them like an I think we gave one of them like a ninety where we're like it's just better than a B plus. Might have been for eighty nine. Is that the one that was around something like that? Yeah, might have been the one around Forbidden Door. We kind of had. That's one of the difficulties that when we do our grades, like it's one thing to do it in the moment, and I think we always pretty much stand by what we think in the moment. But when you do then compare one show to another show, it's very difficult for like an A minus AEW pay-per-view to be compared to an A minus SummerSlam because they're vastly different shows. The AEW show is an A minus because the work rate is so freaking high. But we come out of it saying, hey man, there were like no storylines. It was all work rate. SummerSlam, we're here talking about, damn, they had some really good matches, but there were so many storylines, so many moments that happened that even for the matches that weren't good, it made up for it. So it just, it's completely different products when you compare those two. New Japan, obviously, you can't really compare it to that either. But this was just, it was definitely an A-range show. Again, whether you're mm-hmm. anywhere between 94 and 90, I think is the acceptable and correct grade for the show. I think, is it possible we may have given every WWE show B plus A minus, I think, other than the mm. Rumble this year. I don't know. Other about than that. the Rumble this year, which we hated. But WWE does the the, the pay-per-views have always generally over-delivered, I think. And, I'm pretty and sure there's been a B in there. WrestleMania was spectacular, and this was too, kind of on a smaller scale, SummerSlam compared to Mania. So um yeah, look, we were more down on it when, when Riddle and Rollins weren't there, but WWE has really made a point to make especially these stadium shows feel just like big parties, tons of stuff going on. You know, I wasn't even like really scrolling through Twitter or watching any YouTube videos or something kind of during a match. I was just, I was really glued into everything. I thought the presentation was really well done. I think that's a really great way to wrap it up. And obviously we spent a lot of time here breaking down WWE SummerSlam instant analysis style. That is what we do here on the Getting Over wrestling podcast. I really appreciate you, of course, Chris, joining me immediately after the show to break this down. I appreciate all of you who stayed up late Saturday night into Sunday morning here on the East Coast to listen to the show right away. And I appreciate all of you that are listening to it through the week as we get to Raw, as we get to SmackDown, as we get probably even past that. It means a lot that you guys give us your ear holes. You allow us to attempt to entertain you and provide you with our thoughts on this business that we love so much the world of professional wrestling and sports entertainment. I would be remiss though if I ended the show without one more reminder that the Getting Over Wrestling podcast is all about defy. So please do not forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave us a five star rating on Apple. Also, leave a review. Let everyone know how much you love the show and why you listen. Every five star review that is left, we read live here on the show. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Like I said, it was great interacting with you guys all night, enjoying the show, conversing back and forth. The Twitter spaces, the pre-show for SummerSlam was awesome. The polls you guys voted in droves uh, for your pre-show and post-show grades, that was cool too. I do want to give one more notice. Uh, Tuesday's show this past week, the WWE SummerSlam Ultimate Preview, it was also a full breakdown of Triple H, Paul Levesque, becoming head of WWE talent and creative. I spent a ton of time on it, providing my perspective. I answered 16 different questions about it. So please, if you have not already, go back and listen to that show before this upcoming Tuesday show, when Chris will be able to give 
his perspective of it, it'll be a little bit more informed because we'll have a SmackDown, a SummerSlam, and then an additional Raw to kind of see what Triple H is doing here. Uh, but we will revisit that topic on Tuesday, but you don't want to listen to that show until you listen to last Tuesday show, this past Tuesday show, because I did spend a lot of time on that topic and I've gotten a lot of really nice messages from you guys about how much you enjoyed it. So if anyone missed it, please make sure you go back and listen to that. As far as what's coming up this week on Tuesday, we will have our WWE show, Fallout from SummerSlam, everything that happened on Raw, and a bunch of stuff that happened on SmackDown that had absolutely nothing to do with SummerSlam. And then we will be back Thursday this coming week with a full breakdown of NXT and AEW. Thanks once again to Chris for joining me. Thanks to all of you for listening. It is getting late here on the East Coast. So at this point, the Silver King is going to leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.